You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Hi, I'm Jennifer Wood. And I'm Jennifer Connor. From Equestrian Businesswomen, and you're listening to Equestrian B2B, the podcast that brings together industry leaders, entrepreneurs, and equestrians for conversations about how they build and sustain a successful business. On today's show, we speak to Lori Birnbach about her corporate experience in branding, strategy, and business development. Lori grew up showing hunters and jumpers in the Midwest and has spent most of her life involved in horses in some way. She has been a competitor at all levels. She has been a barn owner, a horse owner, a horse show mom, and been in horse show management. In her work life, Lori spent 23 years as a national account director with the Coca-Cola Company, where she ran a $50 million a year P&L and managed the account team for one of Coke's largest food service customers. Following her retirement from corporate life, Lori took on the director of business development role for Fox Leah Farm in Venice, Florida, a nationally recognized horse show facility that drives over $100 million of economic impact to the Sarasota County. She has since rejoined the corporate world as the director of marketing in the U.S. for Contura Vet. Lori and her husband reside in Sarasota on their private farm alongside their six horses, give or take depending on the day, two sheep, three chickens, and one dog, while their daughter Carly pursues social media fame and fortune in Texas and works on her business degree. Buy your ticket today for the 2023 Equestrian Businesswomen Networking Brunch in Wellington, Florida. The Equestrian Businesswomen Networking Brunch will be held on Sunday, March 26, 2023, from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. in the Wellington Club at Wellington International, home of the Winter Equestrian Festival. Mingle, talk, and listen to an inspiring speaker with delicious brunch food and champagne. Mark your calendar and join us on March 26th. Buy your ticket today at www.eqbusinesswomen.com. Sponsor opportunities are also available. Are you an industry professional who has thought about writing a book? Bookending your business enhances credibility and creates powerful marketing opportunities. InCourse Publishing can bring your expertise to the printed page. As a hybrid publishing company, we partner with our authors through editing, designing, printing, and distribution. Don't leave opportunity on the shelf. Bookend your business today and let us bring your book into the unique arena of the equestrian market. Visit our website, InCoursePublishing.com, to download a free PDF to help get you started. Hi, Laurie. We're happy to have you join us today uh, to talk about your business experience and, you know, share what you've done in the horse world and the corporate world. Um, So we're looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk. We're going to jump right in and get started with some questions for you. So can you talk to us a little bit about uh, what a corporate strategy might look like? So corporate strategy would focus on the overarching objective and how they plan to get to that objective as far as profits, what the mission of the company is, uh, how they're planning to grow their business. And I would say importantly in this day and age, what the company stands for. Uh, Consumers nowadays expect the companies that they do business with to take a stand on things and stand for something, not just be a company that sells things. Mm. Yeah, we've talked about that before and it's come up a few times, you know, in how you present yourself and and really 
giving the company like a a face and a personality and a story, a story, a story. behind yep. it, <clears throat> mm-hmm. and not just you know here's the products we sell. Um, but that I I see that more and more, and I think you know the horse world is going to have to move right along with that <laughs> as well. Yes, yeah. The old strategy I think was stay as neutral as possible. Mm-hmm. Stay out of things. And one of the things we learned at Coke is, especially with the new generation, with Gen Z especially, they want to do business with people that do take a stand and make a difference in the world. So mm-hmm. that's important. Whether you're always going to alienate somebody, but you do need to take a stand on where you want to be in the world. Right. Right. I mean, that's kind of like targeting who your customers are and, you know, hopefully growing it from there. But you, like like Patagonia's um a perfect example, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my Definitely. gosh, they're a great example. Yep, they are and you can't just talk the talk, you've got to walk the walk and they absolutely have done that. Yep. I applaud yeah. them. Yeah, we talked to a few people now that have worked um you know, sustainability into their products and it's not sustainability for sustainability's sake. It's really feeling like they want to do something to help the world and you know they have an idea and a passion for something but they have to find a way to make it so it's not hurting the earth and and people on the earth or animals and nature and um you know having it be something that they feel and they follow and they really care about and not just doing it because it sounds good. Yes. And I think that's actually an excellent point. I think when it first, when sustainability first became a hot word or hot topic, everybody came out and said, oh, we're doing this and we're green and we're whatever, but they weren't necessarily backing up what they were doing. And I Mm -hmm. will say one of the cool things that the Coca-Cola company did when they really got into making a robust sustainability strategy is they took it as we're not just, they weren't just responsible for what they did. They were responsible from cradle to grave. So for example, everything from where the sugar or the corn or whatever the ingredients are grown, they need to be responsible for trying to improve the impact of those of our suppliers all Mm -hmm. the way out to when you are finished with your Diet Coke and you throw your can somewhere that they also take responsibility for that. So you're right. Um, Not just looking at, looking at it as a more holistic perspective. But in addition, the definition of sustainability isn't just your impact on the environment. It's also your impact on your employees' lives and your Mm. consumers' lives. So how do you make Mm -hmm. sustainability from a work perspective? How do you have work-life balance or work-life blend or however you're going to look at it? It's become a broader subject. Yep. Yeah, we've definitely seen that from a lot of uh, different people now Mm -hmm. that are conscious of that. Yeah. Um, does does corporate strategy differ from a business strategy? So the difference would be that a corporate strategy is more about focusing on the growth of the company, what the profit, what your profit motive is going to be, or your your mission motive. There's a lot of companies that are purpose driven now instead of profit driven. Uh, what the company stands for, what your overarching purpose of existing as a company. Business Business strategy is more about competing in the marketplace. So more about your specific products 
or your division or or what services you offer, how would you go about competing in the marketplace with that product or service? Okay. That would be the difference. Yeah. So even though we use the word corporate, we don't mean actually like a huge corporation. It really is a difference between between two strategies um, and the word itself could apply right. to any well, so, size company. Yes. Yeah. So for example, let's take a horse show facility. So their corporate strategy is, is going to be like, let's say it's a facility that maybe does horse shows, but from different disciplines or they also do other things like World Equestrian Center has conventions there or um, conferences or Foxley Farm has three different disciplines of horse shows that they put on there. And then they also do some community events. So from a corporate perspective, what is your overall goal and objectives in managing that facility? But then the business strategy might be how do you market your winter horse show circuit versus your open show circuit that's basically a schooling show for the grassroots or how do you market your dressage shows versus your quarter horse shows so you know we've we've kind of defined that corporate strategy and business strategy and that corporate strategy does not apply only to large companies but um how might a large corporation's strategy differ from that of a small business does it or can it be applied across the board so I would say there's some things that are that can be applied across the board. And then obviously there's some things that would be a big difference between a large multinational corporation versus a small local business. So for example, a, a large corporation may have a broader like global strategy that covers either multiple countries, multiple business units, or even just multiple brands. Mm-hmm. Where a smaller company, for example, uh, Contravet has one product. And Mm -hmm. uh, they focus on one product. So obviously, their strategy is a little bit different. There's different uses for that product, but it is one product. So, Mm -hmm. um, for example, with the Coca-Cola company, uh, obviously, Coke in and of itself is a brand, but then also has a large portfolio of brands underneath that. Mm -hmm. And or Johnson & Johnson. I know Johnson & Johnson uh, markets the Johnson and Johnson brand as well as all of their portfolio of companies because there is some comfort behind having like a Johnson and Johnson behind a product right. there can be a benefit to that uh versus a small business where you may have just one product like for example Arthur Medvet uh we focus more on marketing the brand of that one product because uh, since we don't have a portfolio, that's pretty much where we want to put, like, we have more limited resources. So we want to put our money towards building that brand instead of necessarily building the corporate brand. Right. Uh, yeah. So I would say a small business, a smaller business would be obviously more focused Yeah. on a smaller um on a smaller area versus a, cor- a large corporation, which has to have multiple layers of strategy. Right. And are there principles uh, from a large corporate strategy that can be applied to small businesses? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I would say the number one thing is to not try to be all things to all people. Mm-hmm. Decide who you are, what your objectives are, and have that be your North Star. Yeah. We look at it 
as like casting a net versus having a magnet. So you want to create the magnet that you're going to draw business and people to you versus going out and casting a net and trying to just find whatever you can find out in the field or the water or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think that is very applicable. And again, from a corporate perspective, you're obviously going to have, or from a large corporation, you're going to have different brands. They're going to have the different, the different magnets. Um, yeah. But in a smaller business for, I mean, for example, a, a stable, you could have a training barn that you have the A circuit show people versus your beginner lesson program. You're obviously going to have a slightly different marketing strategy to those two different groups. Mm-hmm. Again, you need to pick who you are, be confident in it, um, and create a magnet that will draw those people to you. You're always going to get a broader group than what your core target is, but that's okay when you're attracting that to you. That's not necessarily okay if you're going out and trying to grasp at every single piece of business that you can get. Mm-hmm. That will fragment your resources, I think, and your focus too much. Right. I, yeah. I really like that advice because yeah. um, I I think a lot of people aren't focused enough, you know, when they're starting a business and they think everybody should want this and <laughs> right and and maybe not. Like, who are you trying to reach and who is your your customer? Um, so, getting that focus in is important. Mm-hmm. And I think that's all part of like, okay, what you don't just make a product to to make a product to sell a product, right? Like you have to have a reason and a why behind your product and getting started. And so you've got to do that consciously for the people that you're trying to solve a problem for or, or you know, fix something, right? And so, yeah, that focus on on those people, I think is important. And that helps you grow your story right? with your yeah. customer, you know? And then- yeah. And then you you are and being false. You're you know you're being authentic to to who your products are and who you are. And what right. you stand for. I think that's so. One of the best examples of how to think of a brand or your brand um, that I ever saw was Tommy Bahama. So Tommy Bahama is a fake person that they created, and they have a thing that they have a, a corporate document that says, what would Tommy do? And they've described, so this is one way to look at your brand. If you had to pick one person that was representative of who buys your brand, pick that person, give them a name and kind of flesh out what they look like. So for example, Tommy Bahama, he's got a small trust fund, not a huge one, but he's got a small (laughs) one. (laughs) He plays golf instead of polo, probably. Um, He likes a casual tropical lifestyle. He drives a nice car, but not again, like there's a whole description of what, who he is, what he likes, what he does with his daily life. Mm. Um, And if you picture that, like if you were going to send one person to a convention that was going to represent your brand, who would that be? And if you kind of develop a little picture or bio of that person, and then everything you do with your marketing, with anything that represents your brand, you try to you try to go back to that bio and say, would that fit with this person that's representative of our brand do? And yes, there's going to be other people. There's going to be, you know, Tommy may have a small trust fund, but there's going to be a lot of people that don't have trust funds that go mm-hmm. buy Tommy Bahama mm-hmm. or a lot of really rich people that buy Tommy Bahama. But you want to try and make everything that you do fit to who that representative. That's a simple and I think easy to understand way to kind of measure things against your brand. Mm. That's Pretty simple. 
Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> so can you explain the difference between branding versus marketing? So yes. So branding, branding is where a product or service lives in somebody's head. So um, let me give you a couple of examples. So when you think of FedEx, for example, you think of, yeah, when I need to get something there positively, absolutely, like get it there and have the tracking, I think of FedEx. Um, when you think of, let me think of a recent one, um, TikTok, you probably think of people dancing and sharing stories and things like that. So where does that, a brand is where something lives in your head that's instant. As soon as you hear that brand, you think of kind of where that occupies in your head. Marketing would be more about promoting that brand and its image in its image or influencing what people think of that brand or doing things that further support that brand. Mm -hmm. Like um, Nike is considered one of the strongest brands out there. Um, everything that you do either supports the position that you want your brand to take or it could take away. Uh, also understanding that branding, while you can influence where a brand lives in your consumer's head, you can't dictate that. So while you may want your brand to be an upscale, um, high-end brand that does something, your consumer may say, no, not really, like I'm putting it down here. So you only have the ability to try to influence where it lives, not dictate it. Marketing is all about, number one, how do, how do you sell that brand? Like the marketing would be more of a business strategy to a certain extent. Where do you need to be present? What will be a call to action to get people to use your service or buy your product? Um, then there's the more background marketing, like how do you put out things that kind of support in the background, support where you want that brand to live in your head? Um, and then if you need to change a brand or rebrand something, how do you, well, let me give, I don't know if you've seen the Folgers, the new Folgers commercials. So um, Folgers, if you haven't seen the new ones, they have, they're actually headquartered in Louisiana and they have totally embraced their background now that they're not just the boring, like when you wake up to coffee in the morning, now they've got, they actually have a commercial that goes from their old kind of staid ads to now the whole uh, Mardi Gras theme and how they're, they're way more edgy. So they are trying to actually reposition in people's heads where Folgers lived, which was kind of a stale old brand. Like when you think Folgers, you think instant coffee, mm -hmm. not Starbucks, right? So if you take a look at their ad, that's a very good example of how they're trying to shift the perception of the brand. Mm -hmm. uh, that would be marketing, yeah. not branding necessarily. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Is Is one more important than the other? I would say everything starts with the brand. Now, again, it depends on what your product is. If you have, there's commodity products, like if you're selling corn futures, the value of a brand is basically nothing. That is a commodity. That's the definition of a commodity. Um, if you are a horse show facility, you're obviously selling a different experience. If you're a riding instructor or you own a stable, you are, you're selling the experience. So at that point, branding is very important, but then how you market, obviously 
I think they're both pretty intertwined because you can have an amazing brand, but if nobody's buying it, you're not going to stay in business. Um, you can have an amazing marketing strategy, but if you have a, a bad product or the perception of your, forget if it's a good or bad product, if the perception of your product is bad, then you won't be able to sell it. So I think they're pretty intertwined. And I would say they're both, depending on the situation, would depend on if it's more important or less important from a branding perspective. But marketing mm-hmm. is always going to be important. Yeah. And you've talked a little bit about you know, a corporation that has multiple brands or products um, under their umbrella, uh, you know, how how do you manage that? And, you know, what is the strategy of, of keeping kind of a keeping it cohesive and being able to market more than one brand? So that's a good question. And I spent 23 years with the Coca-Cola company and it shifted back and forth a lot. Um, I will say where it land where it landed when before I retired is we did market our portfolio of brands. So we tried to have, even though the individual strategies were slightly different, we tried to have the core strategy that all of each of the different brands had maybe a slightly different version of that core strategy so that we had some consistency. Um, let me give you an example. Actually, let me give you an example with our chair with the charitable foundation at Coca-Cola. So the charitable foundation at the Coca-Cola company ha- was about a mile wide and an inch deep. Like basically if employees had something they wanted to support or a local manager had something they wanted to support, they supported it. There was no strategy beyond behind it. Um, we didn't necessarily make a huge impact in any one area, which you can see Amazon is actually going through this right now. They just canceled mm. their smile program because they felt like they were spending two and a half billion dollars or whatever it was, but not making a very big impact. Right. So what I see Amazon doing or what Coke had done is we came up with strategic pillars. So basically we had, I think it was three pillars. Um, it was women, water, and I can't remember what the other one was. Sorry. Um, so everything that we supported across the entire company had to fit into one of those categories. So like if it was water um, or sustainability, then it would fit. But if it was just some random little charity that you were going to give $500 to, they really, and I, it may sound terrible, but they didn't because it didn't fit into the, the strategy. And what we ended up the ending result was we made a far bigger impact on everything, but it also gave our local people guidelines on how to say yes and no. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the other important things of having a strategy. Um, You are going to have, well, you know, again, let's say you have a horse show facility or let's say you have a stable um, or your business, you're going to have a lot of opportunities to advertise, sponsor, promote. So how do you pick and choose those? I know um, one of the Coke bottlers used to say to me, because people would be like, well, think of all the exposure you get. And he would say, we're so overexposed. We feel like we're walking around naked. <laughs> and so like from a Coke perspective, exposure didn't matter. Like everybody, right. it's the number one brand in the world. However, from like, for example, Foxley Farm, Foxley Farm drives a hundred million dollars 
a year of economic impact to Sarasota County, $100 million. That's more than the Atlanta Braves spring training. That's more than the Baltimore Orioles spring training. And nobody knew who they were in the local community. Mm -hmm. And pardon my French, but when I came on board and was looking to apply for some grants, I told the owner of Fox Lee, I'm like, so the county commission should be kissing your ass, Mm -hmm. not the Atlanta Braves, not the Baltimore Orioles. Because, you know, for example, I asked them, I'm like, so how many of that 80 million that you drive, can you say people came specifically just to come to a spring training game? Right. And he's like, well, we can't really say that because it could be the beach or whatever. I'm like, well, at, at a horse show, 100% come for yes. the horse show. And they happen to go to dinner and things like that. So that's the importance of where do you, if you need the exposure, where are you going to most effectively get it? Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a strategy, it makes it easier, like I said, to say no to the local magazine that, okay, it may not be your exact target market. It just gives you a rule of thumb instead of just being reactionary to things. Yes. Um, I know at Contura, that's one of the challenges that we're having is, of course, now that the product is becoming more well-known in the scene, we get approached for a lot of opportunities. Well, we're a a relatively small company. Um, It's not even just the the financial resources, it's the people. Like, do you, if you don't have the, the people resources to go execute something well, then don't do it. It's like buying the race car, but not putting the gas in it. If you buy the race car or buy the ad in that magazine or buy the sponsorship, but you don't activate it, you don't give it any gas, it's going to be a waste of money. Mm -hmm. So you need to pick and choose. And having a a very clear strategy makes a huge difference in allowing you to more intelligently and more effectively pick and choose where you spend your resources. Mm -hmm. And do you think you know, if someone has a corporate brand and then product brands below, you know, is a corporate brand more important than the individual product brand? Or, you know, does it just depend on your strategy of whether they, whether people recognize one over the other? I would say it depends in, it depends on the situation. Mm -hmm. So, um, Well, and I can use, so with Coca-Cola, in -hmm. some cases, it hurt the brand if people knew that it was owned by the Coca-Cola company. Mm -hmm. So especially some of the smaller, um, more green brands, so to speak, like Honest Tea, um, that was something you didn't necessarily want to affiliate with the Coca-Cola company, which again, good, bad, or indifferent is seen as a soft drink company. So mm-hmm. if you have a healthy beverage that is try and you're trying to create like a niche, small kind of out there player, it's not good to be associated with the big corporation behind it. Um, on the flip side, if you are a new drug, um, the fact that you are backed by Pfizer or Bayer or somebody like that probably helps the perception of your company or of your mm-hmm. product. So I would say that just depends. Yeah. Yeah. I could see it both ways for sure. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, definitely. Cause I was, I was thinking about like, um, like a Nike, you know, and they've got air Jordans, but then they have their own, you know, Nike shoes and um, how like, prominent Nike is and 
keeping the Jordan part of it as in like they kind of make Jordans as important as just right. Nike is right. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, yeah. And yes, I, that's a brand that stands on its own or the hotel brands, you know, Marriott right. owns the Ritz now and JW Marriott and people that go to the Ritz might not think it's a good thing that it's owned by Marriott. So, mm-hmm. um, or vice versa. So, uh, I think it just depends. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know that's super interesting because I think about um, companies that, you know, they have one product, they have several products, one dominates it. And sometimes I feel like it swallows up the the actual company brand. Um, Yes. But that's not necessarily a bad thing, I guess. Right. And then in the example of Contra and Arthurmid, we have one product. So again, if we have limited limited resources, whether it's people or money, we want to promote the Arthurmid brand. Right now, there's no point in us fragmenting that Mm -hmm. because it is just one brand. So there's not a need to promote the Contra or build the Contra brand. Yeah. And I think it can confuse people Mm -hmm. um, in, in knowing what it is and how they're connected and you know, oh, I didn't want that brand. I want this brand. And you're like, oh, well, it's the same, <laughs> same company. Exactly. You know? Yes, exactly. <laughs> or people don't understand the difference between the company name and the product name. So, yes. Yeah. yeah. And that's, at the end of the day, they're buying the product. Right. That's a really good point, actually, because I didn't think about that, you know, that it's the the product name versus the company name, mm-hmm. not just like the brand, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's very interesting. Um, talking about branding again, do you think that um, personal branding is important? Because I know now with in the day of influencers and everything, um, do you think that people should have personal brands? I absolutely think it's one of the most important things you can do. And I can mm-hmm. give you my personal journey. Um, so I'm a huge advocate of women, um, elevating women leaders, making strong women, raising strong girls. Um, I do believe, I think historically men get their identity more from what they do than women do. So that all being said, um, it was interesting because after spending 23 years at the Coca-Cola company, which, um, even though some of the perception is of the company, you know, there's some people that don't have good perceptions of it. At the end of the day, if I said I worked for Coke, everybody knew who it was, um, And I had a pretty strong brand in the company and with my customer and with that industry that I had been in for 23 years. When I retired from Coca-Cola and I worked out of my house, but my customer was somewhere else. My office was somewhere else. The industries that I was involved or the industry organizations I was involved with were all somewhere else across the country, in some cases in different countries. So when I retired from Coke and brought all my horses home to my little farm that my husband didn't know that I had not sold and just had on lease. (laughs) Um, I did have a little bit of an identity crisis and I went to help Fox Lee and it's like, okay, nobody knows me in the community. I mean, yes, I have some friends, but as far as a brand of what I do in the workplace, nobody knows me. And I was a little bit lost and how is that going to translate? And I will say, um, I was pleasantly surprised that I stuck to making sure that I got involved in things that supported what I felt my personal brand was. I tried to do some more visible things in certain areas that 
my personal brand could come through. And at the end of the day, um, now I have pretty good connections in the community. A lot of people know me, like the county commission, the city commissioners. I've gotten involved through my work with Fox Lee, doing a lot of some public speaking. And I can say that it took a while, but that brand became enduring and carried through to my next career. Um, that's why I would say personal branding is so incredibly important, though, is because that is the one thing that you can take with you no matter where you go. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I will give you an example of um, one of the challenges is when you have a product and you can hold up the product and talk to people about the benefits of the product, that's theoretically easier to brand than you as a human. Mm-hmm. Um so you need to look at yourself like a product. And one of the things, one of the exercises that we did once in a leadership situation that I was in is we actually came up with brands for ourselves. We used like name brands for ourselves. And that was a quick way as an icebreaker in a meeting or something like that to give people an idea of who you were. Like, for example, one girl was FedEx. When you absolutely positively has to be done overnight, that's who you went to. <laughs> Or we had one that was, we called her Apollo 13, because basically you could give her, if there was an emergency or crisis, you could give her a box of parts of things, and she would figure out how to get you back from the moon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that's how, that was a simple way, not only to convey, it was a fun exercise just for an icebreaker, but to convey to other people, you know, instantly (laughs) who you were. Um, But more importantly, if you try to look at yourself, if you were a brand or product, what brand would you be? Because that helps you kind of identify in your mind where you want to live in people's, in the space, in people's head, just like a product. And that gives you kind of like the Tommy Bahama example. If you, if you say, I want to be Apollo 13, that I'm the person they come to when they absolutely, they have to figure out a way to get back to the moon and they have no idea what they're, or from the moon and they have no idea what they're doing. Um, that is a very good exercise from a personal branding perspective to help you identify with something. And then as you go throughout your day or, or plan things that you want to be visible at or how you want to do business with people, you can kind of think of that brand. So it's almost the opposite. Instead of picking a person that would represent you, pick an iconic brand that would represent you. Um, and I find that that's been one of the more successful ways to think of personal branding. Hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah, because I think if you are relating yourself to a really well-known brand, then that brand's story and everything related to it gets transferred, you know, and okay, FedEx is a well-known brand um, or... You probably don't want to be Southwest right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, exactly. On but TikTok. I think, you know, everything comes along with it, right? It's, right. It's yeah. that feeling that you get when you look at a brand and, you know, that if you want to be known for something like that, then I think, um, and you can convey that, then those fe- those feelings, those good feelings come along with it. Um, right. And yeah. then you can put it, you can give a brand a personality. And that's how I know there's a, a thing on TikTok right now that says it does the airlines, which is why I thought of Southwest. So <laughs> mm-hmm. they have, um, if the airlines were a person and yeah. they have like Delta walks in, in the suit and very 
you know, buttoned up conservative. And then um, like spirit comes in in a Hawaiian shirt that doesn't match with this thing and yes. runs in. So again, yeah. you can, you can go back and forth. You can give a brand a personality mm-hmm. and you can take your personality and give it a brand, but yeah. that just kind of helps you solidify what that magnet is that you're trying to convey. Like, especially when you may only have seconds or minutes to give Mm. a first impression of somebody. So that just Mm -hmm. gives you kind of, again, a guiding North star. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's an exercise that like anybody can do at any time, you know, because I think so many people are thinking about their personal brand, but in particular, I have some friends um, that are riding instructors and they're, you know, trying to figure out how to make their personal brand. And I think that that's, a, a good exercise that they could do to kind of figure out, you know, what, what they align with. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, well, it's interesting. I was on a committee for the USCF and it was a working, they did a think tank where we were trying to come up with how do they segment the horse show levels, right? Because the challenge was everything had become a premier horse show. Mm-hmm. Well, everything's not really a premier horse show. So how do we, and how do we convey what we're trying to do? And we used the hotel example. So within mm-hmm. the portfolio of say Marriott, you have um, the small, more exclusive elite hotels like the Ritz and JW Marriott. There's far fewer than those and their, and their qualifications or the things that they do are a very different level than a regular Marriott all the way down to um, whatever the budget brands are that Marriott has. And again, there's a place that's not good or bad. Yeah. There's a place for everybody. So from a riding there's instructor a market perspective, exactly. Yeah. Are you Heritage Farms, which mm-hmm. is like the Ritz? Or mm-hmm. are you the person that starts all the grassroots kids and gives them their base so that they can go be famous with somebody else maybe? So mm-hmm. you kind of need to figure out, again, where you live, where you want to live and where you're good at. Mm-hmm. And even and, if you pick more than one thing, still try don't try to be everything to everybody. Yeah. And all of those, like you said, they all have a place and they're all worthy of being there. But, you know, I think we've said this a few times <laughs> in different ways, but you have to be realistic about who you are and what you offer and, you know, looking hard at what you can provide. And, you know, if you're a person, if you're a homebody who likes to stay home and teach lessons, like don't market yourself as the trainer who's going to go travel 40 weeks of the year. Right. So it's, um, it takes some introspection to, uh, to find out who you are and, and then put that out there. Yeah. And it's hard. Sometimes it's hard, you know, especially in our, in the horse industry, mm-hmm. you, you know, I know with my little, I have my little private farm and my friend teaches some lessons on some of my daughter's retired ponies and some of my old hunters. And, um, at first everybody that called that wanted to have a lesson, I said, yes. And then, um, we had a couple people that really had the, the, the resources, both talent, desire, and money to go do something bigger. And we're just not set up for that. And as, yeah. as sad on the one hand, it was to move them on to somebody else. It was good for them. And ultimately it was good for us because we kind of have our little niche. Right. And I think you find that 
you know, those big barns that don't have a place for kids who just want to take a lesson a week can then refer to back to you if you're referring, yep. you know, yeah. kids who need to move on to a bigger barn to them. So I think exactly. that's good advice for everyone to think about in, you know, what market you serve. And if you don't serve a certain market, you know, who can you align with to give each other business? Yeah, because I think that's one thing that we don't do very well in the equine industry mm-hmm. is everyone's you know, so territorial. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And and I do think that, you know, if you're honest with yourself and you figure out who you can align with and, you know, everybody ends up winning in the long run. Mm-hmm. Grow I mean, the pie I- instead of take a bigger piece to pick that. Okay. So that, yes, my experience in the horse show management side to your point, that is how it has always been. And it was very frustrating to me coming from corporate, especially because what I did was very collaborative, very much win-win. Let's think outside of the box. Let's figure out how we can grow something for everybody. Mm-hmm. And that is not how the horse show management industry is either. Like it's all, it was very, I think it's gotten a little bit better, but it was very much, I've got mine. And I don't want you to take any of it instead of let's all work together mm-hmm. and grow the pie because then we're all going to win mm-hmm. and figure out where, again, just like our last example, figure out where we live, what space do we occupy? And yes, we're going to overlap to a certain extent, but there's a lot of unique strengths of everybody. And so there's plenty to go around if everybody would just work together. Yeah. Yeah. I actually have a friend who's going through that right now. She runs some horse shows up in my area and and they're never rated. They're all local. She doesn't even have jumpers at it because she doesn't believe in um, promoting bad riding. <laughs> that's exactly what she said so she doesn't do that and she you know i mean it's it's small and there is somebody else who has a very big very famous barn in the area and this woman did uh, a horse show a couple of times last year down the road from them and they were mad and called her up and like screaming and she's like they're not even the same people that are coming right. to the horse show. So, mm-hmm. and even if there's a few, like I'm not doing it the same weekend as you. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to steal business from you. I'm just trying to expand my area because I've had some issues with um, the facilities that I'm running them at, you know, getting dates or whatever. And she's like, I'm, I'm going to continue to do my horse shows. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, and if they work together, they could cross promote. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of things. Yeah. There's a, it's been interesting, again, especially coming from a background where everything was about collaborating. And yes, we had competitors. I mean, obviously, you know, Coke's competitor is. And um, <laughs> but there's just so many things you can do to make it if 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 it was a little bit more collaborative, mm-hmm. which hopefully it's maybe moving that direction a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, that's some of the conversation that we like to have, right, yes. is for better business practices and mm-hmm. and promoting that and having somebody like you who can c- come and give a perspective like that, that, it, you know, in corporate world, there are collaborations. And listen, uh, we've seen collaborations between Coke and its competitor before, right? Yes. Actually, right now, there's an ad, a big ad out, right, with everybody, with yeah. all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's space for everybody, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is another reason why it's important to decide where you live, what space you occupy, what you're really good at, and be a magnet instead of casting a net. Because I also believe that if you operate that way, especially in like the writing industry, 
um, you're going to pull people towards you instead of having to cling on to keeping people. And, um, and people are going to naturally gravitate to where, where it fits what they want to do. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And where they feel that the, where they feel welcome and included. Yeah. Yes. When building um, a personal brand, is there anything women should consider that differs from men? Absolutely. That's a long list. (laughs) Um, So I would say number one is don't be afraid to speak up. Um, Women tend to be more circular. Women will go to the people that can get the work done where men tend to be more hierarchical. Mm. So be very aware of that. Um, But don't be afraid to speak up. I don't remember the exact percentages, but men will go apply for a position or take on a role or responsibility because they absolutely think that they're qualified for it. Where women, okay. yeah, if they have fifty percent of the of the skill sets, where women, unless they have a hundred percent, they're afraid to go for something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I absolutely, I also think that if you see something, say something. Um, we are fortunate in our generation that we can speak up and people will believe us. Whether that's you know the Me Too thing, whether that is simply. Um, unconscious discrimination of men versus women, et cetera. Like um, that is one of my personal mottos is living authentic. And I try to never let something go by without calling it out. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things on my journey to making that kind of my hot button and my passion, um, we had a consultant come in to a big industry organization that I was part of, and they studied the 10 most lauded corporations. So the 10 corporations in the world that have received the most awards or recognition for elevating women. And when they looked at the numbers, they really hadn't moved the number that much considering they had spent hundreds of millions of dollars trying to do that. So they really took a deep dive in what was holding it back. And one of the things that they said is it's not the blatant, the people that blatantly are misogynistic or chauvinistic or whatever. It's the subliminal. It's women. It's us. It's us that when somebody's up for promotion or somebody wants to take a writing position that you think, well, they're in their twenties. What if they get pregnant or they are pregnant? And so I don't think that she wants to take that on. So we say no for that person without even giving them the opportunity to take it on. Um, And it's men and women. And so I have now become very aware of everything that reinforces the message. So um, a funny story, my daughter was three going to a Jewish preschool and she came home one day and said, she was coloring some coloring book. And I'm like, so what are you coloring? She goes, it's a story about Adam and Eve. And I'm like, so what does it say about Adam and Eve? And she says, well, Eve made God sad because, or mad because she did something she wasn't supposed to do. And I said, you know, sweetie, throughout the ages, Women have been blamed by men <laughs> for a lot of things that weren't really our fault. And that's, um, and it's funny, then she started coming home and when it would say Mr. Clock, she would cross it out and put Ms. Clock. So um, <laughs> just speak up when you see things. And again, especially in our industry, because um, it's interesting, the diversity and inclusion committee, I've got a friend on that. And I don't remember what the exact number is, but you know, 80% of us that participate are white women, right? Mm. Um, but when you look at who horse show management is, 90% of it is old white men. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, how do we get a seat at the table and a voice at the table? Um, so again, if you see something, 
say something would be my biggest thing. And um, the other thing that they found is women are great mentors. We're great at mentoring other people. We are not great at advocating for them. So for example, if Mm. a man leaves a company and goes somewhere else, he takes all of his people with him, all Mm. of his important people. If a woman leaves and goes somewhere else, she doesn't take anybody with her typically. Mm. So um, men will advocate for other people to get jobs Mm. or mostly other men. Um, Women, again, they do a lot of, we do a lot of mentoring. We don't necessarily do a lot of advocating to make things happen. So um, take a more active role in helping elevate other women too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say, like I said, take advantage of the fact that we live in a time and a place where we can speak out when we see something. And because um, if everybody just keeps their mouth shut, it's never going to change. Right. Especially yeah. with our girls and what, what our daughters and the young girls see. Yeah. And so, you know, looking at your corporate experience and your experience within the equestrian industry, what is the best business advice that you can give people um, in the equestrian community? So I would say it's easy to get stuck in the weeds every day because especially in this business, it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, Um, especially with horses because they don't respect that you've got time blocked off to do something completely different. <laughs> I'm learning that with them being at home. Um, or they have a seizure in the paddock right out in front of me when I'm on a conference call. So um, oh they're very rude. Yes. Um, <laughs> so I would say, make sure that yes, you're going to spend a lot of your time in the weeds, but take time every day, if you can, to step back for a few minutes and look at the bigger picture and where you're trying to get to, and then kind of just reset what you're doing that day. Like, is this getting me closer to my goal? Yes, there's things that you're going to have to deal with every single day, but make sure that you take at least a few moments every day to step back from the weeds and look at you know, where your North Star, where your North Star is and mm-hmm. why you're doing this and where you're trying to get to. So you don't just get caught up in the busyness of it all. Yeah, that's great advice. I think because horses can fill every minute of your day with all of the busy stuff. <laughs> yeah, so even from a, leisure perspective, Mm. I found keeping my horses at home, I was spending so much time doing all the other stuff. I wasn't getting to ride. And it's like, so if that's the point of why I brought them home, then I need to figure out how I do what the whole main reason was not just get caught up in all the busyness of taking care of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that can apply to a lot of things, right? I mean, Mm. any job and like, even for me, I've used this example before my dog had ACL surgery last year and every day like the first couple of days I was like in tears like oh my god this is such such a long road and you know and then as you see a little progress you're like oh wait okay we're getting there right so yeah you, you feel overwhelmed at first but if you can take a minute to be like okay but we're still heading in the right direction then maybe you can find some some calm and exactly then, you know move forward yes and take a breath yeah, yeah. look at where you're going mm-hmm well, we've learned a lot, I think. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's a lot that we could go on asking, but we're going to move on to the questions that we ask every um, guest on an episode. So the first one goes to Connor. 
What is one action that women can take to make a big difference in their lives? Speak up. That's what I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And what is the best habit that keeps you motivated personally? I try to accomplish at least one thing every day that moves me closer to what my bigger purpose or goal is. Um, even if the rest of the day may be caught up in everything else. As long as I get one thing done, I give myself credit. I don't beat myself up for not getting my whole list of 72 different things done. Yeah. That, you know, I think that goes back to what you were saying before um, of not getting lost in the weeds and and still looking for something to make sure that you're going towards that goal. Um, but I like that one because <laughs> I I do the same thing and not beating yourself up, but especially, you know, if you don't get 10 things done and you only get one thing done, like celebrate the one thing that you accomplished. Right. Or if you actually got on your horse that day, even if it was for 10 minutes and you <laughs> walked around twice, at least you got on your horse. Right. The, I did that yesterday. I had a crazy <laughs> week. I'm getting ready to go out of town. I just been like, I overbook myself all the time. <laughs> yesterday I went, I didn't get on him, but I took him in the arena and I pulled <laughs> some junk off of the, the side and made him walk on a over poles. And, and he finally, he's a three-year-old thoroughbred off the track and so I'm really taking my time but I put it like a tiny little cross rail up and he just walked over it and I was like okay good we're done yay <laughs> <laughs> I did something with my horse before I'm leaving yeah yes 80% of something is better than 100% of nothing so <laughs> oh I like that yep me too <laughs> what's your favorite horse movie Desert Flight. And I don't know if oh. you guys are familiar with that it's a documentary and I would strongly suggest everybody that is in the horse world, go watch it. So it's called Desert Flight. It was a documentary and I can't remember the girl's name. Um, she put it together. She had the idea as she was in the ambulance going to the hospital after getting having a crash at a horse show because she was trying to think, how does she explain to her friends and family what the essence and what the passion and what the addiction to horses, like, why do we do this every day? And it will give you goosebumps. And it's about 30 to 45 minutes long, I think. And it is basically a love letter to horse sports and what the key passion is. And it's great. I would highly recommend it. Okay. All right. I thought I saw every horse movie out there, but I have not seen this one. So I will go I've heard of it. it. Yeah. Yep. And you can go watch it online. Yep. And lastly, who would you recommend to be a future guest on this podcast? So I have two people. The first one is Amy Derricott. She is actually the veterinary veterinary channel director for Contra Vet with me. She mm -hmm. has been in the horse or the animal pharma world for a while. She also rides and competes. Um, I would strongly recommend her. Um, she's got some interesting background. And then also my friend and neighbor, Krissa Gillette, who lives here in my neighborhood. She was just recently named president of Terranova Equestrian Center, which is mm -hmm. another brand, a new horse show facility here in my area. And she has a similar background to me. She came, although like on steroids. So she came from an even bigger, higher corporate job than me and decided to step out of that to pursue her horse dreams. And wow. now is involved in another horse show facility and um, also has horses at home. And she would be a great person to have on. Awesome. 
Well, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us about your experience and and sharing what you've learned. Um, I think we've picked up a lot of really incredible advice and um, we love being able to share that with everyone. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. I, I love, I love that I have the opportunity and the privilege of taking what I learned in corporate and applying it to the horse world. It's that's the best of both worlds, being able to take those skill sets and use it where you're really, truly passionate. Yeah. Not that I wasn't passionate about my Diet Coke, but (laughs) (laughs) way more passionate about my horses. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks again. Thank you. Lori had so much good advice for people. um, And I loved that she was able to give so many um, relatable examples of how you know, of brands or strategy and and how different companies have done it because, you know, you can talk a lot and use like a lot of words <laughs> to explain, mm-hmm. but sometimes people just need like concrete examples of things that they know and they recognize in order to understand a concept. So I thought she really did an amazing job at that. Yeah, she certainly did an amazing job. And I think my favorite was talking about Tommy Bahama yeah. and like the the behind the scenes about, you know, like he's this fictional person. Like that's such a cool idea. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that that you can do for yourself or, you know, anything. And I, I love the little leadership um tips she gave us on mm-hmm. on exercises that she's done uh at these programs that that everybody should do. Yeah, you know, sit down and do and and um, the corporate branding. I was like, oh man, I'm trying to think of. I'm trying to listen to her, but I was also trying to think of who am I as a brand. <laughs> so yeah. I was like, I got to go back to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it'll be one to revisit. That's for sure. Because I think I don't know. I just find um, people like her and so many of the guests we have that can like speak off the cuff so well about, I mean, obviously she has like decades of experience doing this so she can talk about it, but I just was so impressed at, um, you know, how easily she can explain things. Yeah. Yeah. Broke it down to make it relatable for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was a good chat and I'll probably be listening to this one several times because mm-hmm. I think it's a, important, um, you know, for people to to do to practice some of the things that that she had in there so i definitely i'm gonna do that for sure yeah so we're we got to get going on to our next adventures and you can find the links to today's guests and the show notes at www.eqbusinesswomen.com equestrian b2b is out twice a month on the first and the 15th you can find out more at eqbusinesswomen.com and follow us on facebook and instagram Find Equestrian B2B wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow, subscribe, and leave a review. We want to know your feedback, so go ahead and tell us. You can have all 20 plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go with their free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. Now go build a strategy. Uh